there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Just, uh, hearing the opening to Advanced Medicine and all the Star Trek sound effects Super Don put in all those years ago, uh, I just got to remind you, there's a Star Trek movie coming out in a couple of weeks. I'm really looking forward to seeing Hopefully it's good, Dr. Bittar. All Star Trek movies are always great. So Yeah, it looks like it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. So we'll we'll get there eventually, but uh, this right now, I, I opened today's stories, including a uh, discussion by the American College of Pediatrics warning their doctor members about the Gardasil shot because they said, you know what, the placebo-controlled study wasn't placebo-controlled. They actually had adjuvants in it that are same t- same as the ones like aluminum and polysorbate 80 in the shot. And they actually acknowledge that. It's like, you know, calling out doctors as you've done as a doctor for many years, and you said sometimes I'm being too nice to them. I'm not being so nice anymore as I'm watching these people. They should have known this all along. I absolutely agree with you, Robert. The thing is that in the in the interest of uh, the financial gain, many of these things, as you know, you know they're, they're just not disclosed. The more we realize how the system works and the more we realize how sometimes some of this information is subverted and, and prevented from people uh, becoming aware of it, then we start to realize that the agenda is always something other than what we think it is. And many of these researchers that are putting their efforts into the research, we would think that, like, like Offit, for example, you know, he's a perfect example, you know, we would think that they're doing it for the betterment of mankind, but then we find out really their agendas are much, much more sinister Um a lot of times for professional, uh, for, for personal professional gain, but it's only rare that a person does it because they just didn't know any better. And now I think there's no excuse. I think now in the times that we are living now, 2016, nobody can say they didn't know any better because the information, there's so much information out there, like the glyphosate issue when they had with Monsanto, yes. uh, when they interviewed that uh, scientist, you know, and, and you did the, you had that uh, little clip, which was hilarious, and the guy's talking about how safe it is, and yeah, of course I'll drink it, you know, and the reporter gives it to him, and he's like, yeah, of course I'll drink it, and then he goes, no, I'm not drinking it, you think I'm crazy? Yeah, you know, calling their bluff. Against, exactly, exactly. Once you get them to the corner, you know, they'll say whatever they need to say for, for mm-hmm. their own purposes, and then as soon as you've got them up against the wall, yeah. they... They, they, don't know, they know too much. I mean, they know way too much to, than to... They'll say whatever they need to say in front of the public, but when they're, it's, it's in their own... Um, it's going to be introduced into their own bodies. Yeah, when their butt's on the line, then they, they cower like little girls. And <laughs> not, to, not to make little girls sound bad, but you know what I mean. The College of uh, Pediatricians, the American College of Pediatricians, says that in addition to their concern about the lack of placebo control in these studies on safety and efficacy for Gardasil. They are also seeing a link between, a very concerning link, according to them, between Gardasil and premature ovarian failure. Very interesting. It's really interesting that it's the American College of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Pediatrics is bringing this up. 
Because remember, they're the ones that also are the big, they're the big proponents. Well, no, the a- no, the AAP is not saying this. It is definitely the ACP, the American College of Pediatricians. So it's a different organization than AAP. AAP, you're right, very, very staunchly supporting all vaccines all the time, don't question anything. But i got to give props to the American College of Pediatricians for calling out on this. You know, I talked earlier, too, about the Atlanta Journal-Constitution did a big expose. Uh, they found 2,400 physicians had been engaged in sexual abuse of, abuse of patients over the last 16 years. Over half of them still have their licenses. And I said, you know what? It isn't just sexual assault. It's chemical assault. And that's happening by nearly 100% of the physicians who are vaccinating and giving drugs needlessly. So wait a second. Did you say the statistics was this was uh, sexual assault, meaning like with children or with... Uh, no, this was just uh, patients in general, including adults. I think mostly focused on adults. The st- they found this out. They had one thing they were covering, and then it led to uh, the whole country. This became a big scandal, just published uh, a few days ago in the Atlanta Journal. And it, the 2,400 physicians they found were engaged in sexual abuse. Uh, some of them have gone to jail, but over 50% of them still retain their medical licenses. And, you know, I just kind of expanded that out, and I said, you know, that's horrific enough. And I know that most doctors are not engaged in sexual abuse, so I wasn't going there. But the reality is they're almost all engaged in chemical abuse if they're vaccinating, particularly with the Gardasil, with what they're finding out, destruction of the ovaries of little girls. Yeah, that, that's a uh, Gardasil has so many different, so many different um, destructive components. I mean, what is it, 3,500 um, girls that have uh, gotten Gardasil that... Uh, no, I'm sorry, it's 3,500 abortions, 35 spontaneous abortions of women that were pregnant that got Gardasil, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the most, uh, uh, you know, as far as the stats coming out of St. Vax and others, the adverse events being reported on these uh, HPV shots, and yet they're continuing to push this uh, mandate, you know, for seventh graders, boys and girls, to get this shot. And yet, yeah. you know, and I'm thinking, parents, pull your kids out of school. They'd be better off going to no school than risking them getting this shot. Have you seen the new propaganda on TV now where they've actually got a child speaking or an adult speaking, and they're talking about, you know, had I known this and I didn't expect to get cancer and, you know, had I mm-hmm. known that it was HPV and blah, blah, blah. And then it uh, morphizes into the child. It's an adult speaking. Uh, you know, talking as if they've already died. And then it morphs into the child. It says, I didn't know. Did you, Mom? You know, and so it's like playing wow. the emotions of yeah. parents now that you get. And they've done it for girls and for boys for Gardasil. I couldn't believe it. it. It's a very emotional video. But when you start looking at the extent that they've gone with the propaganda to, to propagate uh, mm-hmm. this uh, total falsehoodness you know it's, it's just amazing to me that they're actually playing that they're pulling at the parents heartstrings because what parent would watch a video like that or a commercial like that and not want to do the best for the child and they're making it as if it's, it's the same thing as that evidence-based medicine you know the, the traditional definition for de- evidence-based medicine is anything but based on evidence it, yes they, they they re-manipulate the the uh words they they change the meaning of the words and then they take on um uh, a different and nefarious type of agenda by using right. words that are that are you know evidence based is a perfect example. When you think evidence based medicine, you think everybody would want to practice medicine based on the evidence, but that's not what evidence based medicine is. Because no, number one, people control crossover studies are not evidence based. They're, 
They're based on everything but evidence. And so the change of language and utilization of words to manipulate people, you know, it, it's, it's very, very interesting how that's happened. But these commercials have just, I think, they've crossed the line now. They have. In fact, there are consumer groups that are suing and bringing this up to the state's attorney general and, ha- you know, trying to go after Merck for, you know, putting out false propaganda that's so obviously false. And we've discussed this on with, uh, I think, one of the Ph.D. researchers that was the discoverer of HPV or worked with the guy who developed pap smears all those years ago. And he said, you know what, no matter what they say the HPV shot is, it's not a cancer vaccine. And they're claiming it's a cancer vaccine. If anything, it can be argued to be a uh, vaccine against eight or nine strains of the human papillomavirus. But that's it. And yet they're promoting this as a cancer vaccine in violation of what's been what it's been approved for technically. So, yeah, there's some pushback now, especially when you see this premature ovarian failure being acknowledged by the American College of Pediatricians. Well, the, the side effects from Gardasil, uh, as far as uh, actually women or young women that have died, um, I think that's the statistics, that's 3,500. But there's been a very high incidence of women that have gotten Gardasil vaccination and have had um, second or third trimester. I'm not sure why they would even get a vaccination during pregnancy, but uh, they had uh, abortions that have been addressed or attributed to the uh, Gardasil vaccination. So the ovarian failure aspect and many of these other things, again, you and I both know that some of the um, chemicals that have been entered into the into the human population based on, you know, whatever utilization in um, commerce that they've used. Uh, sometimes it takes two generations before you start seeing the adverse effects. So the ovarian failure aspect is just one component that we've now seen. There'll right. be other things that'll come to fruition that will become, they'll become evident, you know, another year, two years, five years, 10 years, whatever the time frame is. Well, even but, even yeah. right now, Dr. Batar, uh, another article just came out that said common chemicals endanger children's brain development. And they list some of the chemicals that are found in vaccines, but they refuse to acknowledge vaccines being a source of them. They talk about pollution from the environment. They talk about lead. They talk about mercury. But they refuse to acknowledge that they're also being injected into children. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you beat the hell out of the fish industry for the, um, uh, for the methyl mercury. mercury. But the ethyl mercury, which is far more destructive than the methyl mercury found in fish, you never even hear about that. Even though it's more than um, they say, methyl mercury has whatever the. If you take organic mercury versus inorganic mercury, inorganic mercury is the second most toxic substance known to man. But then you make an organic form of it by adding a phenyl ethyl methyl group to it, it becomes exponentially more destructive. Phenyl mercury exposure will kill a person within six months, eight months. But uh, ethyl mercury, it won't do it quite as fast, but ethyl mercury is, depending on which literature you look at, 500 to 1,000 times more destructive than right. methyl mercury. And methyl mercury is what's, you know, is in the fish industry. So they talk about that all the time, but they don't talk about the much, much more mm-hmm. significant cause of the damage from mercury, which is the ethyl mercury. The injectable form. How about this? Dangerous chemicals used in manufacturing, some banned and others not, need greater regulatory attention because of the danger they pose to children's brain development, according to the authors of this new study. How long has Dr. Batar been talking about it? He wrote about it in the international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. Now researchers at the University of Illinois say a host of these commonly used chemicals, from lead and mercury to flame retardants and pesticides, 
We need to be paying attention. But don't look at the injectable form in vaccines. Don't tell anybody about that. Well, that's what we're here to do. Advanced Medicine each and every week kicks off the week with Dr. Rashid Batar. Links are up in the show notes, robertscottbell.com. You can also find drbatar.com available to you as well. Stick with us. We've got a lot more broadcast, advanced medicine. If you ever miss a show, special place to find this particular episode, medicalrewind.com. Back with Dr. Batar after this break. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. Last hour, kind of teased a story about home builders following on to what doctors are doing with their patients by doing it to their homes. You know how doctors inject toxic poisons into babies that are just growing, right? Home builders are now injecting toxic pesticides into the foundations of homes to kill termites and, of course, outgassing in the people who live in them, unbeknownst to them, they move into these new houses and all kinds of nasty, toxic outgassing and all kinds of illnesses uh, are the response. Well, Robert, you know the story about when we built our office that's now the Huntersville Police Department. You, you know that I stopped the entire building process because they had sprayed the foundation with some type of uh, insecticide and then they had put a plastic coating over it, upon which then they create the uh, next level uh, of the of the foundation before they pour the concrete. So it's, they first put rocks in it, then they treat it with some kind of chemical, then they prepare plastic lining, and then they start pouring concrete and all this other stuff on top of it. And it's supposed to create a non-breathable... Bug barrier. Uh, bug barrier, exactly. Yeah. It's waterproof, et cetera, et cetera. When I found out what they did, we stopped the entire process it costs over $200,000 for them, extra, for them to have to revert that process. We had to bring in all sorts of things from um, Texas, uh, magnetite, and uh, things we had to do to basically undo the damage from that chemical component. We had to take out those liners. Wow. Um, everything was redone, and uh, it made a really big difference. In fact, you know, you're talking about these things that they inject into the, into the foundation, Look at the outgassing from carpets. Look at the outgassing from the formaldehyde-based um, uh, drywall. Uh, we use dragon board or dense armor, which is a uh, material that doesn't outgas. It's mold-resistant. It's fire-retardant. Um, has none of the formaldehyde and those other chemicals that are outgassing. Um, the carpets are the same type of thing. So in the building industry, it's very, very interesting that you have the same issues with uh, material that's used that's not cell resonant, that's not, um, doesn't adhere or doesn't match up with our own body's resonance and creates a detrimental effect. So whether you're breathing it in or you're ingesting it or you're being exposed to it through your skin, the, it's, it's all the same thing. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. people will be so, so adamant about how they're going to eat. They eat organic and they eat clean and range-fed, et cetera, et cetera. But then they're living in a house that's very, very toxic. You're right. You um, go in and look in their medicine cabinet going, I-, I thought you knew better. And it's sort of like there's blind spots all over. And, of course, you don't see them spraying typically unless you're engaged in the building like you were of that building. And, and now it's, you know, poisoning the water tables if you're on a well. 
Uh, you know, a Huntersville Police Department has the probably the healthiest building ever built for any police uh, agency. Yeah, they actually have, and the, and the uh, captain of the police force who gave me a tour of the place uh, about a year and a half ago um, told me, he said, it was like when you built this building, you were you, you uh, built the perfect building for a police department, and we laughed about it, but there were certain other components. We will talk about it off the air, but sure. it was very... Well, I mean, the, the building was very well built, and it was uh, built in a, you know, he was talking about really the floor plan, but he very also secure. brought up certain things about, he brought up certain things that he used to have a problem with allergies. And he said, and this is a very common way that you can know if you're living in a healthy building, but the people have certain skin issues or they have certain breathing issues, and then they get into an environment that's cleaner or the, the house that they're in is remediated, and they have an immediate, almost within like a week or two, improvement in their breathing ability. They don't have a skin rash anymore. Whatever the case is, it's an allergic response to the environment that they're living in. But they don't think we don't think about it that way. We don't think this the house that we're allergic to. We only think about the lotion I'm putting in my skin that I'm allergic to, or the food that I'm eating that's allergic to. And you don't think about the toxicity that you're living in. I'll give you a really good example of this. This is somebody that you know. Um, she, uh, she's actually an echis that we met through Ann and Alden, and. She became a patient, and she was mercury toxic. We treated her. She was a speech therapist, and um, I can't remember her name. A really nice lady in in uh, North Carolina, and uh, I treated her for probably about a year and a half. In fact, she was a speech therapist who evaluated my son when he was um, in speech therapy class, and this goes back to a long time ago when there was a when I was um, in a custody battle with my ex-wife, but. Um, I know we're coming up to the top of the R or the bottom of the Yeah, R. hold the thought. I want to find out how this plays out. I have a sense, as uh, we've talked about this before, but it's a good lesson for you folks that are dealing with ongoing lingering issues. Even if you seem to be cleaning up your act, going to the right kind of doc to detoxify and then still have some ailments, you might want to pay attention to this. When we come back with Dr. Batar on Advanced Medicine here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. You're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell The information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. If you've been listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show and Advanced Medicine with Dr. Bittar for years, you're way ahead of the game. If not, you're just now discovering that what we've been saying for many years is now becoming accepted as almost self-evident, like toxic poisons from the environment impacting the brain development of kids or the dangers of vaccinations. And Dr. Patar was just relating a, a patient story about a speech therapist who was dealing with mercury toxicity. And we were also talking about the sick house syndrome or the sick building syndrome as well. And all of these kind of play together, interestingly. This lady, we treated her for mercury. She is very high in mercury. She got better, um, but she never completely, uh, her issues never completely resolved. But she was probably about 75 to 80% better, and she was very grateful for that, and we were able to continue forward. And I told her, in time, you're going to get completely better. But in time, that didn't happen. A year went, two years, and she was still 
way better than she was originally, but she still was, she was still having some symptomology, and it wasn't quite she she hadn't crossed that plateau that I would expect a person to do when when you've got it cleaned up, and. Then she reported, interestingly enough, that she always felt better when she would take, uh, when, whenever she was traveling for work, she would sometimes travel for two or three days, she was gone from home, and she would always do better on the second and third day, and then one day after returning home, she would feel sick again. And so it was an interesting observation, just in passing it was made, so I suggested, have you ever gone away for more than a, you know, two or three days? And she said, no, I haven't. She, and, but she attributed the improvement just for two, three-day improvement cycles, not associated to her work uh, away from home. So I suggested to her to take a week to 10 days off. She was well overdue for a vacation. She hadn't taken a vacation in 10 years. So her and her husband went to Virginia up to the mountains, and they went for basically two weeks. And when she came back, she told me, she said, that was the best two weeks that I've had in a long, long time. And it was all because she was in the cabin, remote. You know, we weren't sure what was going on. We thought maybe it was EMF, whatever the building. We didn't know for sure at that time. And this, at that time, this process, uh, it was still an evolutionary process for me to understand how important the buildings were and how much of an impact the resonance of the building will have on the individual. So the postulate was that maybe something was going on with the house she was living in. She goes away for two weeks. She definitely feels better. She comes back within two days. She's feeling, you know, again, that lingering thing, not, not nearly as bad as she was originally. So then I suggested to her that they sell the house and then move out. So that was a pretty big step. They started considering it. But during the process of getting the house listed, they came to find out that the house had been built on a chemical dump site. In fact, the entire subdivision. The entire subdivision on a chemical dump site. I'm sorry. Can, I don't know whether you could. Yeah, well, I just lost you for a second, but I was just you know, the, the impact of that. You know, we just talked about the sick building syndrome, and I mentioned that, you know, when people are doing the right things and not getting well or only hitting a certain point and they're not getting beyond it, you've got to look at your environment that you spend the majority of your time in, that you sleep in. Uh, and, you know, are you cleaning the water, for instance, that's coming into your house sufficiently? But here you have the entire building sitting on things that are probably outgassing, not only in your house, but around your house. That's exactly right. And so they found out while in the process of getting this house listed that it had been built on a chemical dump site. They actually were able to successfully file a lawsuit against the builder, and uh, then there ended up being a class action lawsuit, if I remember correctly. But the point is that she was getting sick, exactly as you said, Robert. It was the chronicity of her problems were all related to the building that she was living in. And it wasn't even so much the building in that particular case. It was the foundation upon which the building had been built. And all these chemicals were coming up through the ground, through the foundation of the house, and it was no matter how much we cleaned her up, the source of poisoning was much greater. And, and it, we were actually amazed. I was amazed that the treatments were working that well, that it, we were able to maintain her 75 to 80% improvement because I would have never thought that living virtually within the cesspool itself Right. be able to, uh, you know, be able to alleviate that much, uh, 75 80% resolution of symptomology is pretty significant when the source of the poison is still there well it so, shows you the resilience of of creation you know as we, i've talked about this as well going it's amazing how much we withstand you know the fact that i went Absolutely. through what i went through and was still recoverable uh, in my young life it tells you how strong life is to adapt to these uh, difficult circumstances for survival now it's not optimal but it's survivable and then if you get those things out of the way, how you can move back into that thriving reality.
Absolutely, it's a, it's a testament to the to the superior engineering of the of the creator that he exactly. is the most you know superior engineer ever. I mean, we are the the physiological being is the most ultimate machine that's ever been created, and yeah. so you're absolutely right. This is a proof positive. It's testament to, to the resilience of that system. But unfortunately, the allopathic medical community, due to their training. Not everyone stays there, but some do, many do, uh, working against that optimal thriving. We have a question of the day coming from India, of all places, someone we've heard from before. Mary uh, wrote to us about a vaccine issue. She doesn't want to get her 11, uh, let's say, uh, uh, was, how old is he? A 10-year-old. They want to give him the DPT shot or the diphtheria uh, shot. And she doesn't want him to. The husband does. It's one of those tough situations, probably in a divorce setting. But it's interesting because this is coming all the way out of India, where she said, in particular, uh, a city called Malarparam, Kerala, uh, was uh, only 25% of the kids are vaccinated. And they actually threatened to break the legs of anybody who comes in there to try and vaccinate the kids. Yeah, and it's because of the response from the mainstream medical community there. Uh, I, I really love this last part that the anti-vaccine people say that the deaths were. Um, I'm just going to read this last little part. Uh, the people that were the people whose children, the people so strong in their neighborhood, where the kids died of diphtheria, people refused to allow the health officials to enter their homes to vaccinate the children. They threatened to break their legs if they entered. But now they are trying to legally force them to vaccinate to suppress any anti-vaccine campaigns. This is the part that's interesting. The anti-vaccine people say that the deaths were not due to diphtheria because the culture tests were negative. However, the explanation from the conventional doctors is that the patients were already on antibiotics, and that's why the culture test was negative. And any experienced doctor can identify diphtheria just by observation. Now, you know, I really find that an, an entertaining statement because any experienced doctor would also know that to introduce known poisons into the system will suppress the immune system and then allow you be to become more susceptible to not only diphtheria but everything else. And that's the whole issue, the diphtheria vaccination and all these other types of vaccinations. It's not what they're supposed to do, which is to try to mount an immune response. It's that truly if the entire concept of vaccination has any validity, which it does, vaccinations have validity. The question is, as Robert, you and I have said over and over again, we're not anti-vaccines. We are pro um, immune response, and if you're going to give somebody a vaccine, then why are we putting substances in those vaccines that are going to suppress the immune system, whereas the immune the, the vaccine is supposed to increase the immune system? If that's the truth, if that's what the goal is, which is that's a, that's the propaganda, right? That's the propaganda. Mm -hmm. You want to take a vaccine so you strengthen the immune system. Then why the hell are we giving that vaccine? containing substances that are known to suppress the immune system and giving it a time when the immune system in the human body isn't even capable of mounting a response because it's the first or second day on the planet. And the child is still dependent on for the first six months of the mother's immunity that the mother has transferred via the placenta. So the, the entire aspect here is, again, it's propaganda and misinformation giving half-truths to get people confused and then uh, push their agenda through. There's nothing wrong with getting a vaccine that's purely a vaccine. It is not uh, uh, an It's not appropriate to do the vaccination with substances that include things that are going to be 
known immunosuppressives and cause a problem with the immune system. That's the whole issue. Yeah, and of course, I would argue that we're looking more toward homeoprophylaxis as a as safe way to introduce this concept, to introduce a, an idea that's not unsound at its base, but in its action, in its in the way it's being delivered, the way it's being done. And of course, it's a very profitable venture because they've been granted immunity from all lawsuits, from all liability. They have no interest. They have no incentive to make them safe if it were possible, but we already have an option in homeoprophylaxis. There's a big conference coming up in St. Pete, Florida, the second year in a row now this has happened. Last year was in Dallas, and we're getting doctors together from all over the world to talk about the fact that there is another way to go to help sensitize the immune system safely without harming the sickest of babies. That's how safe this is. That's exactly right, Robert. That's exactly right. You know, one of the issues that we've got right now in society is, um, and I think that your efforts and, you know, in the last few years when I've been involved with you, the last six years, uh, and more and more people becoming um, part of this movement of, of educating and, and informing the, the populations of the, not only just our local communities, but of the nation, and now, of course, the people from India and Australia and everywhere else listening, that, that misinformation that's been propagated is slowly um, not an, as big of an issue as it used to be. Um, there are more and more people that are becoming aware of, of the truth and the reality, and they are uh, allowing others to become aware. So even though you and I may only have a small audience, but that audience has a very large circle of influence in their own um, communities, in their own families, in their own circle of influence. And so our ability to get this information out to more and more people, and that, that's a very exhilarating thing for me. It's a very uh, rewarding thing for me. And sometimes, you know, I've been asked, well, how do you have time to do the show? Um, because this is the one thing that I'm doing consistently every week. And it's just knowing that how powerful the message becomes. As, it's almost just like a snowball rolling and rolling off mm-hmm. the top of the hill. It's maybe just something we're holding in our hand. But by the time it gets down to the bottom of the mountain, it's massive. It's bigger than a house. Yes, indeed. They said it wouldn't last. But no, no, we're on a mission. And that mission comes from a far higher place than uh, government, we promise you. And, of course, uh, um, we're expanding our reach. You know, UK Health Radio, of course, carries it. We've just got picked up by Red State Radio as well. So uh, we continue to grow this message of health, freedom, and healing liberty right here each and every week. We kick it off with Dr. Rashid Bittar, Advanced Medicine. You can pick us up through uh, the archives at uh, GCN, of course, also medicalrewind.com. When we come back, diabetes sales or sales for diabetes drugs uh, set to skyrocket. You'll never guess why, and the drug industry wants to take advantage of it. We'll uh, we'll talk about that with Dr. Batar and more as we wrap up Advanced Medicine this week on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Links are up in the sh- in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. You know, when I first learned about homeopathic medicine and supplementation and eating cleaner foods, I was helping folks to reverse diabetes. I began to use whole food chromium, reversing diabetes, much less hypoglycemia. But the medical profession can't or won't or doesn't want to figure that out. And there's a story here Superdon brought to our attention 
Headline reads, Diabetes Sales Rocket Toward $60 billion with Novo and Lilly's GLP-1S first in line for growth. Super Don, you said this was like a pep rally talk for diabetes drugs. Yeah, this is like a, this is a great outlook, you know, a, I, I don't know what you would call it, you know, for a drug company. You know, they're trying to encourage investors and sales reps that, you know, this is going to be a good year because, and then they go to outline all the reasons why it's going to be a great year for these diabetes drugs. Yeah, they're not going to tolerate 85 and 9% A1Cs like we used to. They're going to bring it down to 7, 7.5% if we need two or three or more drugs. So uh, $60 billion on the horizon, Dr. Batar. Yeah, but whereas they could improve that by just requiring people, or not requiring, but suggesting to people, hey, start walking three miles a day. Or if you can't do three miles, do two miles. If you can't do two miles, do half a mile. For God's sake, just get up and walk, and they're going to see an improvement in uh, insulin sensitivity and a decrease in insulin resistance just just by just simply walking. Yeah, it's incredible. And they acknowledge that, you know, they're, they're excited about the fact that even though there are public health campaigns and awareness campaigns telling people to do what you just said, <laughs> Dr. Vitar, they're saying people will continue to overeat and under-exercise, and they're going to see their weight continue to go up, and therefore they're going to need more medications uh, uh, along with that. So the outlook is bright. Yep, the outlook is bright. If you're a bright drug... the investor, right? Right, the investor of the drug companies. Then they say diabetes is quote unquote complicated and quote unquote resilient. No, it's not complicated or resilient. I mean, it's very simple to reverse, one of the simplest things. Now, I'm not talking about type one, I'm talking type two, but it, it is so simple to reverse. And, you know, I've had people that figured it out and just switched their diet without any intervention at all from even natural healers, and they reversed it. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there's so many simple things. In fact, Robert, this is a perfect time for me to bring up something. I haven't, I haven't talked about this, but I'm still experimenting with it. But there's a concoction that mm-hmm. a person can order the stuff um, online, or you can go to any health food store and get the stuff, and you can put it together, and it's done at a certain time of the day. I'm going to hold this out because we're going to have a retreat uh, in Cancun in October. Okay. And um, we're going to actually, I'm hoping that I'll have all the data collected by then, but this concoction um, is something that actually is anti-inflammatory. Uh, it's, uh, it's just accumulated from a couple of different things that I've read and things that I've done in the past. And if I have the data by, by October, we're going to release the information. Uh, it's anti-inflammatory. Uh, it's anti-carcinogenic. It's anti-diabetic. Uh, it, it actually will, it's lipolytic, so it'll help a body person lose body fat. It's detoxifying. It's something you should do first thing in the morning. It takes, you know, three minutes to prepare it, and it's all stuff that you can get anywhere. And the key is it has to be all fresh stuff, meaning the, the spices, that's, you know, that you can just buy, but mm-hmm. the other components have to be fresh. And in just, in just the preliminary uh, results, it's so impressive that even my 11-year-old uh, wants to do it. And he's like, Dad, I want to do this. I mean, so... We'll leave that as a cliffhanger. Okay, we'll we'll talk some more off the air. Maybe drop some more hints on that. By the way, upcoming yeah. events, you, you would love this, Dr. Batar. I don't know if you're going to be around for this, but uh, in the Orlando area, we're going to host a constitution class with my good buddy Michael Batnark. He was the presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party in 2004, and uh, he's going to teach a constitution class a full day in Mount Dora, Ooh. Florida, August 13th. 
Wow, that sounds and, fantastic. And on the 14th, we're going to do Second Amendment training with a former British Special Forces officer. A limited number of folks are going to get to go out in the open range and shoot any gun they've ever wanted to shoot. So we've got some cool stuff coming up. And those of you who are big fans of Dr. Batar and Advanced Medicine, you also are welcome. The links are up in the show notes, robertscottbell.com, to the Eventbrite uh, invitation as well. That sounds like an awesome event. Yeah. So we'll keep bringing that uh, healing to your constitution as well, wherever you are around the world, India, Australia, South America, North America, where are you, in Europe? Yeah, you too, in UK. We're going to get you. We got you good. We got you back. And we got your remedies. Go get the international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away While You're At It. Dr. Pitar has uh, put some great work into it and it continues to give the gift of healing because, well, Dr. Pitar, you tell him because. Because the power to heal is yours. Yes, it is, my friends. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Show.